Welcome to the Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of the Just Pod. Today, we're meeting with Robert Mykos, professor of law at Vanderbilt University Law School and reporter for the Task Force on Marijuana, Federalism, and Separation of Powers. Robert, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Emily. We appreciate your time. So we've invited Robert to join us on the podcast today because, as I mentioned, he was the reporter for the Task Force on Marijuana, Federalism, and Separation of Powers, and they have recently completed their work and put forward their report, and so we're catching up with him today so that we can get familiar with their work and their process and also what they put forward in their report and what's come of that since then. So just as background for our listeners, over the past decade or so, states have been legalizing marijuana. These new state reforms are finding themselves at odds with federal law over marijuana regulation and policy. And since the federal government continues to ban the drug outright, the criminal justice section decided it needed to look into this deeper. So, Robert, that's where we'll turn to you. Let's start at the beginning. When was the Task Force on Marijuana Federalism and Separation of Powers created? And what was the original goal of this task force? Well, it, it really started back in January of 2018. And it was spurred by the mounting dissatisfaction with the nation's marijuana policy. That dissatisfaction stemmed in large part from the tension between state and federal marijuana laws. There are or or were at the time about 34 states that had legalized marijuana for medical purposes and about 11 of those at the time that had legalized it as well for recreational purposes, but the federal government continued to ban the drug outright. And that tension between state and federal law was causing a lot of different problems. In lawyers, I, I think we recognize that lawyers are acutely aware of those problems. They see their clients struggling on a daily basis with the conflict between state and federal law, sort of wondering whether or not they're allowed to do something given this conflict. And lawyers themselves faced an ethical dilemma because there are ethical issues raised by advising individuals who, while they might be complying with state law, are nonetheless violating federal law. So lawyers were were particularly aware of the problems that are caused by this tension. They're also uniquely suited to help find a workable solution to that tension because marijuana law today, this field really raises some very complicated and fascinating legal issues. Issues that are in federalism, for example, what's the the extent of the state's power to legalize something that the federal government has banned? There are questions in separation of powers. To what extent can the executive branch change federal policy towards the drug and so on? So there's there's really a, a need for some lawyers to get involved to help resolve this conflict in, in policies. 
So the task force was formed back in, in where 2018 to see if the ABA could help identify a solution that would have broad appeal and also lend its weight to try to push for lawmakers to implement that solution. And who was enlisted for this task force? Well, we knew from the get-go that we wanted to try to build consensus behind any recommendation. We thought that's really the only way to go to make sure that lawmakers down the road would actually accept and maybe act on our recommendations. So we sought to have a very diverse task force that would represent all the different perspectives on this somewhat controversial issue. And that included myself. I'm an academic. I served as the reporter for the task force. It included another academic, Sam Kamen, at Denver University. He served as the chair of the task force. But it also included a broad range of lawyers with the ABA who were currently or previously state and federal officials with some knowledge of these issues. That included state prosecutors and defense attorneys, federal prosecutors, DOJ officials, and so on. The hope was that bringing together this diverse group of people would help us make sure that whatever proposal we came up with would be satisfying to a broad range of individuals with different views about how this drug should be regulated. Well, thank you for that background on the task force. So let's dig into the inconsistencies that you were referring to earlier. Can you provide a summary of some of these inconsistencies or the most flagrant between state reforms and federal policy? I'll give you a summary of the inconsistencies and why we viewed these, and I think many people view these as problematic. So, of course, on the federal side, federal law treats marijuana as a Schedule I controlled substance. And that means that the possession, manufacture, and distribution of the drug is banned outright. Those activities are actually criminal offenses outside of the very narrow context of FDA-approved clinical research trials. So the the federal government takes a, a very strict approach to marijuana. State law, by contrast, has become increasingly permissive. The states allow various individuals to use, grow, and distribute marijuana, albeit subject to some very tight state regulations, regulations governing licensing of marijuana suppliers, what they can put into the drug, how they can advertise it, what taxes they have to pay, that sort of thing. So there's a wide gap between state and federal law. The Department of Justice at the federal level has really since about 2009 has tried to to lessen the tension between the two sets of laws somewhat. And really since 2009, the, the Department of Justice has taken the position that it won't criminally prosecute individuals who violate federal marijuana law as long as they're acting in strict compliance with state marijuana laws. So they're getting a license from the state. They're following all the state regulations governing advertising, keeping it away from children, and so on. And Congress has gotten in on the act of late as well. Since about 2014, Congress has adopted a form of this non-enforcement policy. It's 
limited the DOJ's ability to spend money prosecuting people acting in compliance with state medical marijuana laws. But those steps, those limited steps, really haven't fully resolved the tension between state and federal law because they're directed predominantly at the DOJ, and they don't actually change the substance of federal marijuana law. And there are a lot of other parties out there that play a role in various ways in enforcing the federal ban against private parties, like state-licensed marijuana suppliers. For example, the Treasury Department regulates banks, and the Treasury Department continues to insist that providing banking services to the state-licensed marijuana industry violates federal law. They've tried to soften that position a little bit by saying that it's okay, these banks might not be sanctioned for doing this, but that's not the sort of assurance that banks want to do this. This means that these state-licensed marijuana suppliers are unable to obtain even basic banking services, like checking accounts to pay their bills. So they ultimately have to be cash-only businesses. There are other problems that linger as well. State-licensed marijuana suppliers are facing a litany of private civil RICO lawsuits. Even if the DOJ isn't criminally prosecuting these suppliers, some private parties are able to sue them in federal court under the RICO statute, which authorizes a private cause of action for people, including these state-licensed marijuana dealers who are violating federal drug laws. So these problems linger for state-licensed marijuana industry, even though the DOJ has tried to soften the tension between state and federal law somewhat. And we can see how these inconsistencies, this, this lingering tension, creates problems from the perspective of lots of different people in society. It really creates a, a regulatory quagmire that's counterproductive for anyone who's concerned about marijuana law and policy. Just to cite one example, on the banking side, the fact that state-licensed marijuana businesses, many of them struggle to obtain basic banking services, like checking accounts, means that they operate as cash-only businesses. And that's not good from anyone's perspective, because it makes it harder, for example, for state regulators to monitor the transactions of those businesses. There's no paper trail created by cash transactions, no electronic recording of those transactions that regulators can look at, which means that state licensed marijuana suppliers might have an easier time flouting state regulations. They're supposed to protect the health and safety of state populations. There's also just a problem with having all this cash on hand. It subjects or exposes the state licensed marijuana businesses to an increased risk of robbery and theft a risk that would be minimized if they could engage in credit card transactions or non-cash transactions. So these inconsistencies that continue to linger, I think the task force recognized that they were problems to everyone. And even people who don't necessarily support state reforms, who would rather have a stricter set of marijuana laws akin to what you know, the federal government has on the books right now, could still recognize that these problems are bad 
and that having cash-only businesses, for example, is a bad thing. Even if you want prohibition, it would be better to do away with the cash-only side of these uh, state-licensed businesses. Can I ask you a follow-up question? My understanding is that some people were hoping that the First Step Act would help relieve some of the sentences for people that were consumers of marijuana or distributors of marijuana in the past since it's a nonviolent offense. Is this something that was discussed in your task force or was this, is this separate from what you were examining? Um, well, this could be part of a solution, but uh, it wasn't something that the task force specifically addressed. We tried to keep our discussions at a, a fairly high level of generality. We didn't want to dictate to lawmakers necessarily a specific solution, a fine-grained solution. We have some recommendations, some things that we think that they should do, but there's still some room to maneuver within each of our recommendations. But what you do about prior marijuana convictions was not something that the task force specifically addressed. Mm -hmm. And the First Step Act is mostly retroactive, right? In helping, right. okay. So there are federal reforms that do that, but it wasn't a big part of, of what we were looking at. I see, okay, so let's talk about your report and then also the proposals that you did put forward. Go ahead and walk us through what those were. We reached two realizations early on. One was that any solution, any satisfactory solution was probably going to have to come from Congress rather than from another branch of the federal government. We thought that the executive branch had probably exhausted all of its options in terms of ameliorating the tension between state and federal law. You can't expect lots of federal agencies to simply go out there and ignore the provisions of federal law that they're supposed to enforce. So really, it would take a, a change from, from Congress, Congress changing the substance of federal law to resolve this tension. Second, we thought that there was no one solution out there that would address all of the concerns that we had. And we had reviewed all of the different proposals that had put, been put before Congress. So we determined that it would take probably a, a multi-prong approach, maybe the passage of a few different pieces of legislation in order to satisfactorily resolve the tension. So ultimately, we came up with really three recommendations that are part of this resolution that was passed by the House of Delegates. The first of these resolutions empowers the states, calls upon Congress to pass legislation that would empower the states to turn off the federal ban on marijuana within their jurisdictions. This is similar to other legislation that's been passed elsewhere, where Congress adopts a law that incorporates state law to some extent, maybe incorporates a definition used under state law or incorporates the treatment that a state law provides to a subject. So it's modeled on that. And the States Act is a good example of how Congress could do this with respect to marijuana. This would resolve a lot of those problems that I discussed earlier by turning off the federal ban within their jurisdictions. A state could enable 
state licensed marijuana businesses to get basic banking services. After all, there would be no reason for a bank to decline those services as long as the client's operations were fully compliant with federal law. They'd no longer be in, in violation of the Controlled Substances Act. So that would eliminate the, the problems caused by the cash-only marijuana businesses that are out there now. But we also recognize that this first piece of legislation, something like the States Act, would not resolve all the different problems that we had identified. And let me give you an example of why that's the case. If something like the States Act were passed, marijuana would remain a Schedule I substance under federal law, at least in those states where the states had not legalized the drug. And Schedule One, that status as a Schedule One status means that it's very difficult to conduct research on marijuana. Under federal law, for example, researchers who are trying to conduct research on Schedule One substances have to maintain very tight controls on those substances, like LSD, heroin, and currently marijuana. They also have to get marijuana from a single supplier, a single federally licensed supplier, and that's the University of Mississippi. So this is really holding back research into marijuana's health effects and you know, whether it's going to be a, a beneficial treatment. Something like the States Act, you know, allowing the states to opt out of the Controlled Substances Act would help to lower the barriers to research but really only in those states that legalized the drug. The federal barriers, as well as state barriers, would remain in other states. And that's because federal law, um, the Higher Education Act, for example, bans universities from handling Schedule I controlled substances, again, outside the context of those highly regulated FDA clinical research trials. This means that a researcher at the University of California, Berkeley, and California is a state that has legalized even recreational marijuana, if the States Act were passed, could have an easy time conducting research into marijuana, trying to figure out whether it's beneficial to treat a particular illness or how best to police driving under the influence of the drug. But a similarly situated researcher at the University of Texas could not conduct those same experiments, at least without jumping through lots of additional hoops that are imposed by the federal government. And that's because Texas continues to ban marijuana. And so even if the States Act were passed, federal law would continue to ban it in Texas, although not in California. So we thought that there was a, a second piece of legislation that Congress should pass, and that's to move marijuana off of Schedule 1. Congress would have lots of options. It could move it to Schedule 2 through Schedule 5, or it could deschedule the drug altogether, take it outside the purview of the CSA, as Congress has done 50 years ago when it passed the CSA with respect to tobacco and alcohol. This would help eliminate some of those additional federal obstacles that would linger, those obstacles to beneficial access to marijuana. Lastly, at the suggestion really of the Criminal Justice Section Council, we added a third proposal, which is that Congress should enact legislation really to encourage more research into marijuana, into its beneficial effects, for example, and its harms as well. So we thought it wasn't 
enough just to eliminate some of the federally constructed barriers to research, but maybe Congress could actively promote research as well through subsidies, grants, and so on. We recognize that while our knowledge about marijuana has greatly increased since the federal government banned it in 1970, we know more about the harms and the benefits of the drug. It seems to be a less harmful substance than we once believed. It seems to have more promise as a medical treatment than was once believed. We still don't know a lot about the drug, how it should be administered, whether it really helps as a treatment for certain types of illnesses, how we police driving under the influence with this substance. So there's a need for more research into it. And we thought that Congress is particularly well-suited to help support that research because it will benefit lots of different states. So you can't really expect the states individually to do this on their own, but it's something that the entire nation would benefit from to fill in those, those gaps in the research. So ultimately, we came up with this really three-prong resolution that calls upon Congress to do each of these three things. Each of them serves an important function in helping to improve the current state of the nation's marijuana policy. And just for clarity for our listeners, let's just repeat them as the resolution. The resolution says, in particular, resolved that the American Bar Association urges Congress to enact legislation to exempt from the Controlled Substances Act any production, distribution, possession, or use of marijuana carried out in compliance with state laws. Further resolved that the American Bar Association urges Congress to enact legislation to remove marijuana from Schedule I of the Controlled Substances Act. And further resolved that the American Bar Association urges Congress to enact legislation to encourage scientific research into the efficacy, dose, routes of administration, or side effects of commonly used and commercially available cannabis products in the United States. And for our listeners, this is one of the resolutions that you would have just heard about on our recent resolution podcast recap. But just to refresh your memory, as a next step, the Government Affairs Office will take this resolution since it passed the House of Delegates and can use this now to lobby for Congress to enact these resolutions. So we'll look forward to hearing more about that progress. But as I understand it, Robert, from your position, you've sort of passed the baton on the work. We have, at least with the ABA. We're always trying to promote what we've done and to make sure that the public and members of the ABA are aware of it, because mm -hmm. that's an important step. And, and that's why I appreciate the opportunity to do this podcast. There's a lot of interest, I think, in, in Congress in passing reforms like the ones that we've suggested. So from the very start, as I, I mentioned before, we wanted to make sure that we heard a broad range of perspectives on marijuana policy and that any solution that we came up with would have broad appeal. It's really a consensus report. And that's important because if we want Congress to actually pass something, we know that it's going to have to have bipartisan appeal. 
And we hope that the recommendations that we've come up with meet that criteria. But we know that building up the sort of momentum that you need to pass legislation is very difficult. And the hope is that having the ABA put its weight behind some of these recommendations will help move the ball in Congress. Thank you. And my understanding is that you've already done more extensive research on this issue as well. Is there anything that you can point our listeners to if they want to learn more? Uh, Yes, I've actually been working in this field for more than a decade now. I've been writing about marijuana policy, lecturing about marijuana policy, consulting on it, advising lawmakers, uh, and so on. I've actually been teaching a, a class in law school on marijuana law and policy for several years now. Probably the best resource that people can go to if they're curious about the different issues that are raised in this field. And they really are some of the most fascinating legal issues out there. But I have a textbook that's out on this subject. It's a first-of-its-kind textbook called Marijuana Law, Policy, and Authority. It's from Aspen Publishers. Those are the red books, if you remember, from law school. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, And there's also a website that is associated with the book that includes a lot of updates and additional content that you don't actually have to buy the book. But if you're curious about breaking developments, you can go to that. It's called Marijuana Law, Policy, and Authority. The web address is my.vanderbilt.edu forward slash marijuana law, all one word, another forward slash. And for our listeners, if you're interested in seeing the report put forward by the Task Force on Marijuana, Federalism, and Separation of Powers, that can be found on the American Bar Association's Criminal Justice Section website. So thank you again to Robert for joining us today and walking us through the work of this task force. Thank you, Emily. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.